In a few minutes, you're going to hear me say up here from the altar, wherever you are in your journey of faith, you are welcome at this table. And when going over the worship booklets last week with Deacon Peggy and John, I was informed that there were many things that could change in the way we worship, but this statement of radical welcome had to stay. It was non-negotiable. And I was fine with that because I, too, believe in the ethos of hospitality that it carries. But there's another part of the statement that we may overlook, the part about faith. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, and I want to focus on that today, on faith. What does it mean to have faith? These past two weeks, I've been graciously welcomed into Deacon Linda's Brown Bag Wednesday book study group where we're making our way through our own Donna Bowman's book with the wonderful title, The Homebrew Christianity Guide to Being Human, Becoming the Best Bag of Bones You Can Be. It's a great book. And it is a wonderful book, and it has triggered some rich conversations on topics ranging from salvation to free will to whether or not hell exists. We were undecided on that last one. And this past Wednesday, we discussed what faith is. The answers were beautifully diverse, from ranging from faith is the freedom to love that we have in Christ to something you can't see or feel but you trust to faith frees you. And any one of these statements could preach, as we like to say, because they all say something important about this thing called faith. And faith is central to the Gospel of Mark, and its presence or absence is a recurring theme throughout the Gospel. Last week we had the disciples of little faith, cast about in their siege-horn boat. And this week we have two examples of overwhelming faith and its ability to overturn the very concepts of life and law. And I don't think it spoils anything to say that next week we see what happens to those of no faith as Jesus is disrespected and rejected in his hometown. So today, first, we have Jairus, the well-respected leader of the synagogue who in a panic for his beloved daughter, throws himself at Jesus' feet in front of a crowd of his peers. And this act of humility of such a powerful man for an itinerant preacher must have struck the crowd as odd. But Jairus repeatedly begs Jesus for help. And the hemorrhaging woman, who's ritually unclean, poor, female, literally everything that Jairus is not, risks what little she has left to be healed. And Jesus commends her. He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Both Jairus and the woman are linked, united by an absolute faith in the authority of Jesus. And the way Jesus responds to these acts of faith says much, I think, about the way he rules, about what a kingship of Jesus might look like. First, he attends to the needs of the marginalized, the forgotten. The temptation and urgency to rush to the powerful leader's dying daughter would have been great. But Jesus stops everything for the powerless woman. Second, he creates a relationship. The woman is already healed, and Jesus could easily have continued on. But he insists on stopping and knowing who touched him, of creating a relationship. And when she reveals herself in great fear and trembling, he calls her daughter. Your faith has made you well. And finally, he recognizes the great faith of both Jairus and the woman 
Because in it, he sees the unwavering faith that he himself has in God, in Father, in Abba. And this faith, this trust, makes her well and lifts Jairus' daughter out of her sleep. So faith is the life force that propels Jesus' ministry. And I think it continues to propel us today. Now today is a service nearest to the July 4th when we collectively celebrate our country's independence. It's time to compare maybe how this country is led versus how a country in service of Jesus might look like. Our leaders are often quick to assert that we are a Christian nation and our money places us under God. So how do we match up to Jesus' example in today's gospel? Do we drop everything to attend to the poor, the marginalized, or do we first service the powerful? Do we seek to establish a relationship with the underserved, to truly get to know them, or are we too busy, moving too fast to recognize their humanity and maybe even their divinity? And third, do we trust that faith alone, faith in God, will prevail? Or are we caught up in separation and division to only see what keeps us apart and not what brings us together? I don't think I have to answer these questions, but imagine a nation that looked more like the model Jesus shows us. And you have to admit, it would be a pretty amazing place. And I'd suggest that St. Peter's and its rich history shows us an example, a model even, of, of what a place that followed Jesus' example might look like. In conversations with a number of you over the past two weeks, I've learned a lot about St. Peter's and its leadership here in Conway. I was especially impressed by the prophetic place in the community that St. Peter's holds. In the early 90s, you led the creation of a regional AIDS interfaith network, or RAIN, to service people living with HIV and AIDS. Now, in the early 90s, if you remember, was a time when people still feared that you could get HIV from drinking out of the same water glass. Yet, you dedicated yourselves to those in exile. You pioneered the food pantry in this seemingly wealthy community where poverty is a source of shame for many. You created a loving, welcoming place of relief. And it keeps going strong and I think defines a big part of who we are today. And the Wisdom House and its outreach in Syria is also prophetic. When many people and churches merely talked about the horrors going on over there, you went further. You did something. You took action. The same must be said for the missionary work in Guatemala and your unswerving commitment to the health of its poor. And even here on our own grounds, we host Narcotics Anonymous meetings twice a week, creating a healing space for victims of addiction. What others might call sin, you see as the sickness that it is, an act to help. In so many ways, ways Peter, St. Peter's has worked to see the unseen, to give voice to the unvoiced. It's part of the very fabric, the very DNA of St. Peter's. In the coming weeks, Mark and I are doing what's called cottage dates, small group gatherings for food and fellowship in the evenings and also in the afternoons to get to know each other better. And one of the things I'm interested in hearing about is what's next. What other place or group is unseen and needs to be seen? Who is unvoiced that needs to be heard? Like Jesus, we traffic in the marginalized. So where do we need to go next? We are a prophetic place here in central Arkansas, a place that has faith, this very life force of the divine, 
The same one that has Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead in today's gospel. The same one that reminds us that when we say, wherever you are on your journey of faith, that we're not just extending a message of radical welcome, but also demonstrating the Christian value we share of belief, of our absolute faith in God. Amen. Thank you.